Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Our broadcast today is entitled Knowing Only Christ, and this message will come from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you listened to the radio broadcast last week, you know that we began a new series, a short mini-series of three messages from the book of 1 Corinthians. I believe that the thoughts that we share in this series are relevant and pertinent to New Testament Christians. I believe that these are beneficial to God's people in any era of human history, but especially those of us that are believers in the Lord who live in this post-Christian society in the United States at present, who want to function as New Testament churches in health and spirituality, who want to grow and thrive in discipleship, who want their churches to be healthy and blessed of the Lord. These are thoughts that will benefit us, perhaps more than any other message that we've delivered on the radio here in recent weeks. This one, this series, is one that we think will be a particular blessing to you. As we said, our broadcast today is entitled Knowing Christ Only, and this is going to come from the book of 1 Corinthians 2. Last week, we shared some thoughts with you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We talked about how the gospel is said in stark contrast with the wisdom of this world, any wisdom of this world, the various ideas that are popularized in our country today as it relates to the origin of the universe, the age of the universe, the existence of God, but also things that are practical, such as the structure of of marriage and what men and women are, gender, and what men and women are supposed to do in the world. Regardless of whether we're talking about a philosophy from Paul's day or before, or the modern ideas that some Americans have fallen for in today's time that are contrary to the Word of God, God's Word stands in stark contrast with that, and we need to understand that we are called to be separate from the way that this world thinks. Now, last week we talked about wisdom. This comes from the Greek word Sophia, and it has reference to worldly philosophies and thought and ideals. We also talked about the fact that God's Word is vindicated. Wisdom is justified of her children. As we read in the book of Matthew chapter 11 and verse 19, time and time again, God's wisdom is justified of her children. God's Word is vindicated, whether it simply in a practical sense, benefits us in our daily lives and gives us far greater happiness and peace in this life than those that follow after the wisdom of this world. But also God's Word is so full of prophecy, both of things that have come to pass and things that have yet to come to pass. We can look at God's Word and know that it's true. It's the Word of the God that created the universe because over and over again, His Word rings true in our lives. Ultimately, we know that His Word is true and that it is His Word, unlike any other religious document, because the Lord Jesus Christ rose again. That's the ultimate proof of the Bible's reality, that the Bible is true, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We know that the Word of God is worthy of our trust because of that, above and beyond all the other reasons that we know that the Word of God is true. And then lastly, on the broadcast last week, we consider the fact that God's wisdom wins in the end. The 
wisdom of this world, the wisdom of the scoffer, the mocker, the scribe, as Paul would say, the wise man. God will destroy the wisdom of this world. In fact, even at our present time, God uses things that are weak to overcome things that are strong. He uses things that the world considers to be foolish to display his true wisdom. And he does this that no flesh should glory in his presence. That, according as it is written, verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 1, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. This brings us to what we want to talk to you about today, knowing only Christ. If I'm not to know the wisdom of this world, what is it that I am to know? Does the Bible present just another philosophy, another way of thinking that can be placed alongside all the other ways of thinking, all the other philosophies of this world? Or, rather than being a collection of writings or traditions passed on by one particular culture that we've come to embrace, such as maybe Judaism, is the Word of God built upon something else? Is the reason we follow the Word of God something else? Is it based upon, then, something more than that? And the answer to that is the Word of God is something that we follow. The gospel is something that we believe because in all things, in everything, in every way, the center part of our lives is to be the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified, no matter what we're talking about, no matter if we're considering doctrines or the practice of how a Christian is to live, Christ is to be at the center of it all. And that will be demonstrated for you today on the broadcast. We'll read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I want you to notice how everything that we believe, everything that we teach is rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ, His identity, His finished work, His death, His burial, His resurrection— And so the root of the way of thinking for the believer, well, it's to be Christ and Christ crucified. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech And my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, you can see how this is an extension of some of the thoughts we were considering last week. Last week we ended that, according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. This last passage we consider today in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so your preacher that you listen to, if he's a God-called preacher, you're not hearing what he says because of who he is or because of the wisdom you might think that he possesses naturally. You're not a church person because that's a way of life that, well, it makes as much sense as any other way of life, and so you might as well hitch up your cart to that and follow along in that path. No, there's something special here that you don't have anywhere else. You have the wisdom of God. You have the Son of God. You have the crucifixion. You have the true Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, well, that's why this is so different than anything that you've ever heard of in the world. Now, what we want to do on the broadcast today, first of all, is briefly go through an exposition of these five verses. How, instead of following the wisdom of this world, 
or any sort of worldly philosophy instead of Christianity being one of among many worldly philosophies. This is something built on the foundation of Christ. We want to exposit these principles out of these first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and look at a couple of examples of Paul literally doing this among people as he goes into a community, determining not to know anything but Christ. And then lastly, at the close of today's broadcast, there are three points that we want to give you that bring this home to a practical application for us, why this is so important in our personal lives and in the church itself, in each individual church body. So as we begin to exposit this, what did Paul preach? How did Paul preach? Simply put, Paul preached Christ. He stood in the power of Christ. He preached the gospel of Christ. He did this enabled by Christ because Paul, on the road to Damascus, had such an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole rest of his life could be summarized in that word. If there was an adjective to describe Paul's life, well, it would be the word Christ. In fact, Paul literally would say that in the book of Philippians, to live as Christ— That word Christ, there's an adjective in the book of Philippians. To live is Christ. The sort of life that Paul lived following his Damascus Road experience when God quickened him all by himself. There was nobody there preaching to Paul. There was no one urging Paul to make a decision. There was no one making an emotional plea to Paul. He was dead in sin one moment. He was alive in Christ the next. He had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that moment on, his life was summarized by that simple descriptive term, Christ. His life was a Christ life. And so as he comes to this church in Corinth, he came to them not with excellency of speech or wisdom, that is, carnal wisdom, philosophy, or worldly wisdom, declaring unto them the testimony of God. Paul, in other words, didn't come as an impressive orator, neither did he come as some sort of philosopher. Now, it's interesting that he would say that because there was a faction of people here at this church at Corinth that really gravitated towards Apollos, who was a very eloquent man who mightily convinced the Jews in the city of Corinth. There were other people who preferred Paul, and there were some people who preferred Cephas or the Apostle Peter, that loud, opinionated, and occasionally bombastic preacher, Peter, one of the original disciples. This church had been factioned not by these men, but into groups over which man was preferred by various people in the congregation. And that's always a shame in a church. Listen, if God gave you a pastor and that man is faithful, then regardless of his demeanor, regardless of how loud he is in the pulpit or quiet he is in the pulpit, regardless of his quirks and his idiosyncrasies, if God gave you a preacher, if he gave you a man of God to love you and serve you and preach to you, and he's faithful to take you through the Word of God— and he tries to challenge you from the Word, but he loves to preach the comfort of the gospel from the Word. Praise God for that. Regardless of his style, regardless of his pedigree, regardless of whether the world would be impressed with his education or any other thing, listen, thank God for God-called men. Paul, when he went to them, he didn't go with excellency of speech or some sort of worldly wisdom declaring the testimony of God. What did Paul do when he went to the church at Corinth? Well, he determined not to know anything among them save Jesus Christ and him crucified. We'll give you literally an example of that from a couple of passages in the book of Acts momentarily. 
But as Paul goes into this community, and he begins to constitute this church, he goes to a synagogue, and then he goes to a person's home, and he stays there a year and a half after God tells him that God has much people in that city, so stay here and preach, labor, minister. Well, Paul determines, as he stays there and preaches, as he went there to preach, he determined to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, I'll ask a question that we'll come back to at the close of today's broadcast. Does that mean that the only thing Paul preached there was the crucifixion? No, certainly not. Paul preached any and every concept, but as we'll see in a minute, even when he preached those concepts, he was preaching Christ because Christ was at the center of everything that Paul preached. But Paul determines not to know anything among this congregation or any congregation than Christ Jesus and Him crucified. He says in verse 3, And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. Now, these Corinthians would speak about the Apostle Paul, and they would say that, well, he's bold when he writes, but he's rude in speech, and his bodily presence, well, it's contemptible. We're not really impressed with the oratory abilities of this man, the Apostle Paul. We really don't know as to what Paul's speaking style was. We just know some of the things that people said about him. And we know that as he spoke publicly, often people would get angry with him. There were times that he would beckon with the hand to his brothers and sisters among the nation of Israel as he preached Christ to them. But Scripture doesn't refer to him as one who is eloquent, like it would someone named Apollos. It doesn't call him a son of thunder, as it does James or John, the sons of thunder. We presume that means that they were a little louder in their personalities, a little more opinionated. Perhaps they were more aggressive in their speaking in the pulpit. Paul here says, look, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in trembling. Don't think for a moment that Paul was there in arrogance. Don't think for a moment that he was there in pomp. Paul was not an impressive showman or some sort of a pretend pulpiteer. Now, I don't say this to be offensive, and I don't say it even as a judge, because I am not the judge of the Lord's servants. But there are men who get in pulpits, and they put on a show. We should always beware of becoming pulpiteers and showmen for the sake of impressing the audience so they think that we're preaching. Paul says, look, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in trembling. That tells us that when Paul was there, he wasn't some impressive showman. He didn't put on an act. He wasn't pretending, as some politicians do when they stand up and speak to a great group of people. He simply preached Christ to them. Also, he continues in verse 4, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Now, here's what's interesting. A man can be speaking with power through the Spirit— while at the same time be speaking in weakness and fear and trembling. This tells us that power, as it regards to the preaching of the cross and the power that gospel preaching has, this power is not the volume of the man's voice, but the Holy Spirit in the man as the man preaches and in the hearer as the hearer listens. God is blessing on each end for the gospel to be delivered in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And when Paul speaks, that's what's happening. His speech and his preaching was not with enticing words of man's 
wisdom, but it was in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. This also means that Paul was not giving a gimmick. He didn't have to entice people. He didn't have to trick them. He didn't have to use emotional pleas or manipulation. And at the same time, when Paul would go preach and evangelize, he wasn't a snake oil salesman. That is an idiom in the United States referring back to men who would go sell healing medicines that came from, I suppose, snakes, snake oil, and you could take it, they would say, and be healed of all your infirmities. And really, it was just a gimmick. It was just a novelty. It was fake. It wasn't real, and they would use that to earn a great living for themselves, bouncing from place to place to place, selling people their snake oil, making a quick dollar and leaving before anybody realized that it was actually just a fraudulous transaction selling something that did absolutely nothing for the people who took it. Paul says, listen, I'm not a snake oil salesman, as it were. I'm not using enticing words of man's wisdom, but I am preaching in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and in power. Why? Well, look at verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Seeing then that this is all God's power, our confidence isn't in some orator's rhetoric, but our confidence is in Christ. We have seen the power of Christ on display. We've seen the Holy Spirit on display. And so those that are members at the church that I pastor, Flint River Primitive Baptist Church, I hope they're not members of Flint River Primitive Baptist Church because they found something impressive with the orator. Lord forbid that. Honestly, There's not a whole lot of impressiveness about the way that I deliver a message. Their faith doesn't stand in our wisdom, but their faith stands in the power of God. It's not about the messenger. It's about the message and the Christ of the message. Now, as far as Paul knowing nothing among people except Christ Jesus and him crucified, we see this as he goes into Corinth in Acts chapter 18. He goes into the synagogue, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded Jews and Greeks. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. That's Acts chapter 18 and verse 5. What is Paul preaching there in the synagogue? He's not preaching moralism. He's not trying to share some 10-step program to live their best life now. My best life isn't going to be now. It's going to be in the world to come, I hope, and I trust nor is he telling them a way to fix their marriages and make everything there in their life and make everything in their life better from finances to health through putting into practice some sort of wisdom that you can find in a passage in this book. This isn't moralism and it isn't therapeutic moral deism, but this is the preaching of the cross. Paul goes into these cities and he preaches Christ. That's what he preaches. If anybody comes to the church I pastor, I want them to be there because of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. I hope that's why everyone else is here. I hope that's why you're listening today. I hope that's why you'll tune in again next week because of Christ and what Christ has done for us. Can't you see how relevant this is in the United States today when you have a thousand different things pulling at you from every angle, distracting you? where many Christians even go to church with the notion of, let's fix the country, or they go to church with the notion of, this makes me holy or fulfilled. No, this that we know as New Testament Christianity is not to be about our country or our own benefit, but it is about Christ. We go simply because of what he has done for us. We are thankful to him. He deserves our worship, and that is 
the best and only real reason that we need to be in the house of God on Sunday morning. God, thank you for what you have done for me. In the book of Acts chapter 17, another example of this, and I could just give you several from the book of Acts from the beginning to the end of it. Paul goes into Thessalonica. Thessalonica, as it's recorded in the KJV, there's a synagogue of the Jews. He goes in as his manner was. This means that it was something Paul often did as he went into a new city. And for three Sabbath days, he reasons with them out of the Scripture, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. What's he doing? He is preaching Christ. First of all, he preaches that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. He preaches the facts from the Old Testament about what would happen to the Christ as a biblical figure. And then he opens and he alleges that this Jesus that he preaches unto them is this Christ that the Old Testament foretold. And so he preaches what the Christ would be and what the Christ would do. And the next thing that he does is he preaches that this Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary, the adopted son of Joseph, well, this Jesus is the Christ. He's the second person of the Godhead, God's eternal Son, incarnate, God made flesh, the Word that was made flesh, and dwelt among us. This Jesus is the Christ. So, as Paul goes into communities, he knows nothing among them save Christ Jesus and Him crucified. As we come to the latter portion of today's broadcast, there are three basic points that I want to share with you along these lines. The first one is that Christ is the foundation of all of our churches, including all of what we do and all of what we teach. Christ is the foundation. We don't do what we do on Sunday morning or any other time we gather with the church for the sake of the United States or pragmatism or some sort of a desire to be benefited in this world in one way or another. It's not so we can be wealthy. It's not to be so we can be popular or so we can have power or brush elbows with people. We are at church because of Christ. Now, if you're at church because of Christ, it doesn't matter if the singing isn't as good as you'd like or the music or the children's ministry, or whatever idea people have invented and plugged into church, does it? No. If Christ is there, and Christ is preached, that's why I'm supposed to be there. That's what's required. That's what's needed. Well, that's all that I should be considering as I'm thinking about a church. As Paul reflects on this founding of the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, I have planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Paul planted this church. Apollos was the next pastor, and he watered what Paul had planted. But notice what he says in verse 11. In verse 10, he says, According to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. Verse 11, Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. The foundation of this church at Corinth, as with every New Testament church, is Christ. And so Christ being our foundation, and we should take heed as to what we build upon this foundation, Christ being our foundation, we exist as a church, as an institution to glorify Christ, not to further human causes, not for selfish reasons, but we are an institution that exists for Christ, built on Christ, to glorify Christ. Number two, this is such an important concept that 
if we forsake Christ as our foundation, our churches stand at risk of losing their candlesticks, literally departing from Christ as the foundation, as our first love, as the reason why we do everything that we do, threatens our future as New Testament churches. We recently did a series on the seven churches of Asia from Revelation, but you remember a couple of those churches that had either left their first love or lost their zeal for Christ? To the church at Ephesus that had left their first love, Jesus threatens to take away the very candlestick that they have. Verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, repent and do the first work, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. To the church at Laodicea, because they were lukewarm and apathetic, they had no zeal, they had no fervent desire for Christ, he says, repent, or I'll come quickly and spew you out of my mouth. You will be expelled from me. You will die as a church. This is so very important that the lives of our churches are at stake if Christ is not the very center of all we do. The foundation of everything we do is church is the reason that we do what we do. Now, point number three is we consider ways to apply today's message, knowing nothing but Christ among you. This does not mean that the only thing Paul ever preached was the crucifixion itself. It also doesn't mean that the only thing that we're allowed to preach as gospel preachers is the crucifixion itself. And by the way, I love to preach the crucifixion of Christ. And Christology, the identity of the Lord, is one of my favorite subjects to emphasize in all of the Bible. But knowing only Christ among us means that every single matter of Christian ethics, every single matter, is built upon Christ. Notice this from the book of Ephesians chapters 5 and 6. Christian ethics are built upon Christ. They're not built upon legalism. There were Pharisees who thought they believed the Word of God and loved it that were actually legalists. There are people in the world today that sees the benefit of putting into practice wisdom from the Bible, and they might do what they do in churches out of pragmatism. And there are certainly times in human history when Christianity was built and based upon societal norms, and that affects us today greatly as conservative Christians, societal norms, what the traditional American way of doing something has been. We look at that and try to equate that with what we ought to do for the sake of doing it, because it's what we do as conservative Americans. But listen, Christian ethics are not built upon legalism, pragmatism, social norms, what we've always known and held sacred as Americans. No, Christian ethics are based upon Christ. When Paul said for wives to submit themselves unto their own husbands, what does he say? He says, as unto the Lord. When he says, husbands, love your wives, does he say, because you need to love your wives? That would be enough of a reason, right? He says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Why should a husband love his wife? Christ. Why should a wife submit herself unto her husband? Christ. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Why should a child obey his parents? Christ. Fathers, provoke not your children into wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Why should fathers provoke not their children to wrath? Christ. 
Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Why should an employee be the best employee he or she can be? Christ. And then masters, remember that you have a master in heaven. If you're an employer, understand that you have a boss in heaven, as it were, one over you with authority, that is Christ. Whether we're talking about the government, the minister of God to do good, or we're talking about individual people who are employees and husbands and wives and children and parents, no matter the issue, no matter the arena of Christian ethics we're talking about, everything that we're to do as Christians is built upon the reality of Christ. And so determining not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified doesn't mean the only subject we preach is Christ's crucifixion. No, it means that in everything we preach, Christ is the foundation, and we preach all that we do, and we do all that we do because of Christ. Again, I'm Ben Winslet, thanking you for listening to Words of Grace today, inviting you to tune in again next week at this time. Until then, may the Lord's richest blessings be yours, is my prayer. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at MarchToZion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.